Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran. Good morning. Welcome to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. It is great to be with you today. It's a Monday morning edition of the program. And today I'm joined by Father Kurt Nagel. Father Nagel, how are you? I'm doing very well, Tom. Thank you. Father, I think it's it's been a while since it's just been the two of just us. Just the two of us. I haven't been on. I, I was on a few weeks ago with uh, Father Lewis, but it's been just the two of us. It's probably been months. Yeah. And, and, the, and the interesting thing is, is that you look at the flow of time. Yeah. When did you first start coming on? Was it like 2008? 2007. 2007. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So you've been doing this for 15 years. 15 years. And isn't it interesting? So we've been doing this 15 years. So 15 years we've covered this season of the liturgical year, this part of the liturgical year. What I mean is, is the, the last weeks of the liturgical year where there's a traditional reflection on eschatology, uh-huh. these last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. Well, today in the, in the program, we're going to dive into it. And even though it's the same topics, we're going to talk about them in a new way. And we'll do that today on the program in just a minute. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to the program. We're going to begin with a scripture reading and a prayer by Father Nagel. And in this time of the eschaton, eschatology, I thought I would um, read Revelations, Revelation 11 through 16. I saw the heavens opened, and there was a white horse. Its rider was called Faithful and True. He judges and wages war in righteousness. His eyes were like a fiery flame, and on his head were many diadems. He had a name inscribed that no one knows except himself. He wore a cloak that had been dipped in blood, and his name was called the Word of God. The armies of heaven followed him, mounted on white horses and wearing clean white linen. And out of his mouth came a sharp sword to strike the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod, and he himself will tread out in the winepress the wine of the fury and wrath of God the Almighty. He has a name written on his cloak and on his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Gracious God, we do ask you as we remember the end times, the four last things today, our King Christ the King, that we might be worthy followers and that we might stand ready um, to meet him and to join him. So we ask all these prayers through Christ our Lord, Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much, Father Nagel. Father Nagel, uh, this program is airing on Monday following the Feast of Christ the King. Now, that's a popular way of describing it. Can I put you to the test? And say, okay. What's the formal liturgical title for yesterday? It wasn't a feast. <sighs> Solemnity. The Solemnity of? of I think it's Christ, Christ. No, it's King of the Universe. King of the Universe. Isn't that an awesome title? Yeah, I mean, talk about big. I mean, that's big. Yeah, you know, it's uh, we're just going to dive in today as we reflect on these things. I believe that one of the reasons why the Lord continues to uh, 
uh, hold back his coming is that we have yet to get off planet Earth, really. Oh, really? Yeah, meaning that the concept of the bigness of God, just how big God is, and how transcendence is is more than just really, really, really big, but the, the greatness of God, the majesty of God, is made manifest in his creation. Mm-hmm. You know how like that whole idea that the artist is manifest uh-huh. in his art, that you have the footprints of the Trinity in creation, that we have barely scratched the surface of exploring how great, how the, the grandeur, even the majesty of creation itself. And that the more that we human beings can come into contact with that greatness, have a sense of connection to it, mm-hmm. the more that we will hopefully learn humility and um, have even more confidence in the greatness of God who created it. You know, that's an interesting, I, it's an interesting topic. Um, I hadn't really thought about it too much before. I, and I have a question about um, your favorite uh, Catholic or Christian science fiction. But, you know, I think sometimes it's interesting. The, the al- almost limitless size of the unfathomable size of the universe and number of stars and planets, I think sometimes that can be used as, uh, as an argument against the faith in the sense of this is just this one little earthbound idea. Um, and it, it, surely this little religion couldn't be true on other planets. And surely there must be life on other planets, etc. And so the, the argument is this from insignif- the insignificance of humans and humans' religion, I suppose, as opposed to just what you said. Uh, just you know, this could be evidence of God. Just the 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 hugeness, and it's not even not even size. It's just for for God that this trillion galaxy reality is no more bigger than a speck of dust. Um, that this is who He is. That and I, I just think there's something to be said about that if you think and and pray about it. Yeah, yeah. So Father Nagel, I, I I love that. And when I um, when I ponder it, right, so you can think of, I, I, my mind is going in like 15 directions. One is Pascal, when he talks about infinite, infinitely large and infinitely small. And mm-hmm. we're, we're trapped between these two infinities. And uh, in, in a certain sense, the same, not the same, uh, there's a similar way in which we can come into contact with the infinitely small and you know breaking not the infinitely small right but the 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 thing that appears to be like the the what is the 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 particles that are at the basis of the other particles at the basis of the right. other what do you even call it in the quantum realm and in and all of those things right and and it's your mind can begin to expand in a way that says i can i can imagine it's hard to conceive but i can imagine Take the entirety of the universe, and then stretch that down into the smallest of the particles. Mm-hmm. And doing that, like that's a like I think that's a Pascal form of meditation. Mm. That there's a way in which that led him to a belief in God uh, by by a, a rational act of reflection and recollection. And it it shows something to me about, I'm not making this up, this is an Aquinas idea, that the soul is in a sense everything. Mm-hmm. That, you know, that whole idea that, that 
God created us with a rational capacity to come into cognitive contact with the infinity of being, the, the quasi-infinity of created being. And in doing that, it, it points us in a certain sense to the image of God quality that is ours. Mm. And, and it, it points to our dignity. It points to not the, the, the idea that there is no God, but that the idea that there's a difference between size and value, mm-hmm. right? That C.S. Lewis yeah. comment, right? That if size is indicative of value or importance, then an elephant is more important than a baby, right? Right, and that's just not true. <laughs> well, I think it's you've you've already given the people listening here a great thing to meditate on. I hadn't really hadn't really thought about size uh, in those terms before. Well, I have you had the opportunity. I, I'm trying to think of the time where I was in, let's call it the 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 darkest place. I don't mean spiritually and emotionally. I mean like away from human lights, uh-huh. uh, human created lights, like out in the desert, out in the forest, but away right. from cities and then the glow. And people talk about seeing the Milky Way, uh-huh. right? Right. And, and seeing the 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 majesty of the created world in, in terms of the stars and the universe around them. And I think that the, I, don't, I have never really been that far away from uh, uh, the created world, not the created world, the, like the human creation where city lights or the glow of those lights impacts my huh. clear view of the, uni- of the wider universe. And so I, but when people talk about it, they, they, they do talk about it as a, as a, a grant, like a grandeur and, yes. and a wonder and a, a humbling thing that is, it's, uh, it's, it's life giving, right? It's kind of a cleansing thing. Well, I think you need to take a field trip. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, you, you lived out there in Eastern Washington. It's not that far to go up into the, uh, the mountains, whether it's the Rockies on one side or whatever. Cause I do think it's, it's, it's so different. Um, where I live, you look up and you see the, you know, handful of the brightest stars, but if you really do go where there is no light uh, at all from human electricity, whatever, um, it is an, an awesome and amazing thing. And I think that for, you, for your sake and the sake of your listeners, I think you should take a field trip. All right. I love it. That's a, that's a very interesting challenge. And maybe, you know what, as we have the Thanksgiving break coming up and, when, and then we have Christmas break coming up, that's a, that is a field trip that we've never done as a family. And I, I bet that I would have some kids willing to do that. That's so interesting. And we're not necessarily having to talk about a really complicated or long camping trip or something, but just go up in, in one evening and say, we're just going to sit out here. We turn off every light. Again, we're talking in the middle of the mountains. And we're just going to look up at the sky and you know talk, talk to each other until, say the rosary, whatever it is, um, until it's completely dark and we see what we see. You still, you could go back to your bed on the same night if you really wanted to. Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. You know, it's interesting when you look back at, let's say, ages before electricity, where they had um, a more typical, common contact with the bigness of the universe. Mm-hmm. That you'll see writings. There, there are many writings that point to, um, like, the sin that holds people back is pride. Mm. Uh, right. That's, that's the dominant sin, 
the dominant manifestation of us. Not that we are, uh, in, in a sense saying, we recognize how small we are and we rebel against it hmm. because we have this contact with the bigness of God, right? So we want to stand up against God. But today, in let's call it in, in a world where so many people live in cities and, and have that experience obscured to them, the, the more fundamental manifestation of original sin is mistrust. We've talked about that mm -hmm. on the program before. Mm -hmm. This is Suspicion. John Paul II's insight, right? Suspicion. And why is that? Because we exercise a quasi-creative power, you know, in human invention, human creativity. Technology, yeah. Technology is creating our own worlds and universes. And, and life so, forms, it almost seems like, right? There you go, right, cloning. And, We're, and we are, you can be like gods. Virtual reality, the, the meta, right? All, all of these things are pointing to a way in which we come up with it, an encompassing world where we are in control. And so the harder sin to battle against is uh, mistrust or suspicion, where I don't want to entrust myself. But if we had more contact with the, the bigger universe, right, then all of a sudden that can lead to a sense of God's presence, right? The idea of the holy, Rudolf Otto, right? That that idea of the numinos, that sense of God's presence that is evoked when you come before created reality. Rather than as a scientist, right, where mm -hmm. you can stand over something and you manufacture it, you manipulate it, you, you have the tools to, to slice it up into pieces. When you stand before the wide open universe, there is no ability to stand over that. You can only stand under it in awe and wonder. You know, you mentioned suspicion, and I think that's true, but I think it also goes out in pride, I, I don't, in, again, like virtue, the sins, you know, they're all connected in some ways. But um, the idea of, there's also almost a rivalry, envy uh, that takes place, I think, between us and God now in terms of, who, don't tell me I can't do that because I can show you that I can. And, and you're not telling me for my own good. Here's the suspicion. You're not telling me not to do that, God, or the church for my own good. You're doing that to control me. And so we're in an adversarial relationship about who gets the power, who gets control. I think, again, it's pride there too. So suspicion and pride are, are there. But I think, again, that, that sense of rivalry, which is just absurd if, at one level. But, again, the technology that we have is, is now so expansive and soon it's going in these you know quantum leaps so i do think all of those sins are there in terms of how we relate to the very idea of god these days yeah uh, this is that's father nagel today talking with me this is tom curran on a monday edition of sound insight and we've launched into the into the deep, <laughs> into, the deep, right, deep. into the depths because of the feast day of yesterday the solemnity of our lord jesus christ king of the universe uh, Father Nagel, um, we'll we'll take a break, and when we come back, I want to talk with you about things that are more grounded. We're going to land this spaceship here. <laughs> we're going to land the ship, and we're going to get grounded and talk about the kingship of Christ in our own lives, especially in those places and situations where it feels like there's anything but the lordship, the 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 idea of the Lord. 
mat being master over the circumstances of our lives. So we'll talk about that in a minute on Sound Insight. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran with Father Kurt Nagel. He's the pastor of St. Monica's in Mercer Island and Sacred Heart in Bellevue. Father, what's it like juggling two parishes? It's fun. Um, <laughs> That's a good answer. Yeah, you, you know. Got which one's more fun? Which parish is more fun? Which, which child do you love the most, Tom? <laughs> You're right on the oh, air. Tell us. Oh, that's good. Oh, you're that, Father. That was quick. That was quick. <laughs> yeah, and I'd say I love you all the same. Yeah. And, and the kids would smile. They they shake their heads because they know what I used to say to the kids was, <laughs> "My love is like a blanket. It covers you all. It covers you all the same. Each each individually, but it loves you all the same." So, yeah, very good. I, I I'll back away from that question. But Father, today is the day after the solemnity of our Lord Jesus Christ, King of the universe. Before we pose the question that I raised just before the break, I want to mention that this feast, this solemnity, holds a special place for you. Yeah, um, it's one of my favorites. Um, you know, and I wouldn't put it up there with Easter Christmas, but I do think in terms of um, the solemnities, and there's something that... And it's kind of hard to explain f my own personal take on it. And so, it, and it is a personal take. Everybody has their own favorite feast and things. And it's, there's, I'm not saying there's a right or wrong, but I do think, in some sense, um, I, I think of Christ the King as as leader, as captain, as ruler, as um, again, in in that sense. Um, not just security is probably not just not the real word, but um, victor in some ways. Um, and so in, in all these ways, I think there's something powerful there for me in terms of um, that image. Um, we all have different, our favorite images of Jesus too, from the little baby to the cross. And so again, there's multiple, you know, a multiplicity of ways in which we can imagine and, and meditate upon Christ. But I, I do that, that reading from Revelations uh, I began with, um, again, it's like it, it, it's the comfort of we know who wins in the end, um, and here's and here's what this conquering king looks like. So those are all ideas I think that are wrapped up in my my mind. I love that you, you said several words there that um, jump out at me, and um, I want to focus on those when you talked about Christ as victor, and uh, I mentioned sort of landing the spaceship. We had this sense of um, this sense of. Uh, the bigness of God, but this bigness of God who is majestic, and that's one of the, let's call it attributes mm -hmm. of, of kingship, is majesty. And I, I wonder whether we um, ponder enough or encounter enough the majesty of God, just how majestic God is, that I, has that overwhelming quality. Go ahead. Oh, I think that's what we were talking about, is you know the, the, the Milky Way in a... In a uh, 
perfect, perfectly dark sky. Um, I think what we're feeling is awe and and majesty of the King. Uh, now we may not be able to, that may not be what we um, articulate to ourselves or to other people, but I do think um, that majesty is a great word for for God. That um, that again, as you say, so I agree with you that that we underestimate and we don't utilize. So, Father Nagel, have you ever read? a book by Andrew Murray. It's a short book. Most of his books are short, called Absolute Surrender. No, never. It is so helpful. Um, I have never even heard of it. Oh, really? Yeah, I've never heard of it. Oh, my goodness. Okay. I don't even know who this Murray guy is. Tell me. Andrew Murray. So, believe it or not, I don't think he's Catholic, um, but he has a number of these short books that are essays. I'll, I'll look them up during the next break to give more detail so I don't make a mistake, but he has written a number of these books about the spiritual life. Hmm. But the one that impacted me the most, the one that I remember, is a book called Absolute Surrender. And it's it's rooted in the concept of the majesty of Christ, who is King and Lord. Mm-hmm. And he says something like in the very first pages that uh, of this book, He says, God expects your surrender, your absolute surrender. He expects it. And then the second point in the book is that God accomplishes your surrender. And when I read that very short meditation on God accomplishing my surrender, it changed my whole life. Hmm. It it literally changed my spiritual life. Because I think that I had focused, for the most part, on the idea of surrendering to God, my Father, in a sort of St. Charles de Foucault way, right? Father, I abandon myself into your hands. And what Murray brings out is that when a, a soul who has real awareness says, Father, I surrender and abandon myself completely into your hands, that soul is also aware of that voice, maybe quieter, that is within that says, no, I don't. Mm-hmm. I resist the surrender. I rebel against the surrender. I reject the idea of surrender. I must maintain control. I refuse to surrender. And so that awareness that there is a dimension of our lives that when we surrender ourselves to God, one of the things we can complement that with is the prayer, and Lord, please bring about my surrender because I'm a rebel. There's a part of me that rebels against what I just said. So come as the conquering king mm-hmm. and conquer in me all that resists you. You probably heard me say that before on the program, Father. But And that's one of the key sources where it came from was this Andrew Murray book on absolute surrender. And how well it goes back to the fall and what happens, you know, as that's presented in Genesis 3, it's, it is all about rebellion and I refuse to surrender my will to you, Lord. Um, I'm not going to obey this rule. Um, I can be God. So you're getting to the central, you know, the central, as you say, the change in your life, it's the central, you know, who's in control of my life? Is it God or is it me? So yes. that's, that's, yeah, that's like the central aspect. It sounds like an interesting book. Like I said, I, I have not heard of it, so maybe that needs to be on my reading list. Nice. 
that would be, I, I, how about this? How about I give it to you as a gift? Oh, sure. Christmas is coming up. There we go. So you can surrender and allow me to get you. I am. I just did. I I completely (laughs) surrendered to any gifts you want to give me that are nice. (laughs) Folks, there it is. If you appreciate Father Nagel, he's at St. Monica's Catholic Church. You can send him a gift. No, do not do that. Don't do that. Don't do, okay. Yeah. You don't need clutter. (laughs) I don't need clutter. No. (laughs) So Father Nagel, um, that idea of, um, of Christ coming as King to our lives, it is something that for me is, is, so very important because of the many times in our lives and the many situations we face where God does not seem to be reigning as king, mm-hmm. where what seems to reign is chaos, brokenness, out of controlness, or even demonic influence and, and bondage. And how do we reconcile, how do we relate to, let's start exploring that reality that Christ is king, and yet there are so many times in our lives where we feel like he's not reigning as king in my life, or if this is what his reign looks like, I don't want to have any part of it. Or the world as as a whole, as you say. There's chaos in my life, but it seems like also there's chaos in the world. Yeah, thank you. Very good. So what are your thoughts about helping folks who are listening today uh, relate this cry of the heart that we as a church made acknowledging Christ as king of the universe. And yet, Lord, I, I'm happy you're king of the whole universe, but I just need you to be the king of this, like this home right here, this relationship right here, this wayward son, daughter, grandchild, this spouse, this economic situation. How, what do you, what are your thoughts or, or reflections or recommendations for for folks who are battling to see Christ's kingship at work in circumstances like that, I I think first off I I, I think it should be said uh, we mentioned at some point that this is a very modern feast. I think that when people hear it, that's very medieval. You know, it's Christ the King. They had lots of kings back then, and so this must have come date back to the 11th century or something. But it's from it's from 1925 in Pius XI, and it was the midst of chaos. Uh, the chaos of, of the growing 20th century, Russian Revolution, fascists were on the rise in Italy, um, and the church was being uh, sort of under ideological assault from all sorts of secular groups, etc. And so, this isn't um, some fairy tale sort of thing. This was this was provided to us um, by the Holy Father and the Church back then, recognizing how chaotic our situation was in the macro level. Uh, certainly not denying it in the, in the individual as well. But I think, and, and we know how it turned out. It, it, it's not like there was this, it all turned out really well. World War II uh, didn't cause any problems. And every, after that, everything was really nice. Um, but I think what this feast day for me lines up for in terms of the chaos is just simply a, a truth. In remind, it's a reminder of the truth that we're in a battle. Um, there's a battle within me, as Solzhenitsyn said, uh, you know, again, that, that line that divides, um, my very heart and mind, there's battles within my family, there's battles within the wider world, um, we're at war. So I, I think that the distinction is between the midst of a battle and who wins the war, whether that's in my own life or whether it's in human history. And so it's, again, it's a reminder that we're in a battle and you want a king in the battle. 
Um, it doesn't mean there's not going to be casualties in the battle. It doesn't mean there's not going to be mess, et cetera, or there's going to be suffering. Certainly, that's sort of the, the nature of it. But I have a captain in charge of this battle, and and that's, that captain is all-powerful. And so I, I, I guess for me, it's just a confidence factor in terms of being able to see the chaos as this large, part of a larger picture um, where... Again, the Lord of the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, on his white horse and his clean linen and his his name on his thighs. Um, I'm in his army, so um, it can get bad, but it can't ultimately. It can't get ultimately bad. So, Father Nagel, I love what you're saying. I, in fact, that's something I didn't appreciate. I'm not appreciating as as much as I ought <clears throat> that um, when there's a battle going on, that doesn't mean that Christ isn't present. It means that my my captain, my general, the, the one who is king of this army, is present and at work fighting the battle. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen the resolution of it yet, but he is here. And I think that is so important for folks to know, for folks who are, who are struggling to know, because um, it can feel like the Lord has his back turned. He's not paying attention, or he doesn't care enough to do something about it. You know, right. those. And again, I don't think people maybe consciously say it like that. Maybe it's more of, I'm just not that important to God. God God has many bigger things to be concerned about. Or does he really care about this level of detail in my life? I think maybe those are more common lines of thinking. You know, I was, I was thinking, this is actually what you just said, reminded me of something. Just the chaos of battle. Um, and I've never been in a battle. You know, I mean, in a literal uh, war. Um, but I'm, I'm reading this book, uh, this book, I'm reading War and Peace. I finally got around to it after 61 years um, by Tolstoy. And he, has a, he, he, he was in the army. He was in battles. And his, his portrayal of the Battle of Auschwitz, for instance, in this book is really interesting because it's so chaotic. Um, so he's not writing about these you know, military maneuvers or great heroism, etc., He's just talking about just the chaos that his characters go through in this smoke-filled, fog-filled sort of mess that is a battle. And so I, I just think I thought of that just as you were talking about um, the people's questioning of how this could be. I think we just underestimate the chaos of battle. Um, and that, I guess, is what I would try to – it may not be reassuring, I don't know, but to say the fact that – it's all chaotic, and you don't—you don't even know quite where you're at, or you don't even know what the, the order is right now because it's been a while, and and, it, and I'm kind of confused. I would say that's pretty typical of a soldier in battle, um, and it doesn't mean that there isn't a general leading this. And it doesn't mean we're not going to win. It doesn't mean any of that. It just means that's what the reality is in my my life right now, and so I just have to do my duty before me, whatever's happening before me, do my best. And again, it's, there's a matter of faith there in my in my general saying, I, he knows better than I do, and I just have to fight this place right here. So there's a a, a principle uh, of Catholic theology as it applies to the spiritual life or our life of faith as disciples that the Lord only permits evil because He can bring good from it. That mm-hmm. He is not powerless in front of evil, but He has the capacity to redeem. Where God's will is done, or God, God will do something greater. Mm-hmm. And could you talk a bit about that for folks who are in the midst of experiencing something that is just frankly an evil as they have experienced it? 
it, and I, I before I say, it, and it is there's evil. So I, I wouldn't deny the the working of evil um, and if, and the power of evil in our lives, uh, whether that's demonic and etc. But you're right; God can still bring good out of that, and, and does it, as as long as we are. I again trying to stretch this metaphor a little bit, but following orders, um, so to speak. As long as we're faithful, if we're obedient. Uh, to his law, his will, the best we know, the best that we can understand his orders, we can't lose because we are, we're a piece of the winning picture. Um, so I guess that for me, the struggle would be, do I stay faithful? Do I run away? Do I drop my arms? Do I surrender to the enemy? Um, or do I simply stay and fight in the midst of my pain and suffering, which is real. That's where the, you know, the evil's real. But I'm again. I'm on. I'm on the winning side. Um, I just have to stay faithful to this, and um, the victory is may not be in this time or this particular place, but in the real big picture of where the war is uh, again between heaven and hell. Yeah, the battle is going to be won. So that would be just my again because I think sometimes we lose the sense of meaning or hope in the midst of the suffering and the chaos, and I think that context. Uh, of the king and the battle, it just helps us to say, you know, I can just, I can stand my ground. Um, I don't know exactly why I'm right here, right now, facing this, but my faith tells me this big picture I just laid out. So, Father Nagel, you brought something up that um, it it actually is is mapped out in uh, my life, my life with Carrie and our kids. When I think about the evil that intruded or invaded the lives of my kids, especially when they reached their teen years, and especially one of my kids. It introduced into our marriage and our lives a deep suffering, uh, you know, what, what uh, therapists call secondary trauma. Mm. But there was trauma in the life of one of my daughters, and that trauma led to a secondary trauma in my own family's life. It stretched, it cracked, it put pressure and stress and anxiety, desperation into Carrie and my um, parenting, trying to figure out how do we navigate this. And we, we were just, uh, we were at the end of our own thinking and resources and the things that we were doing were not working and it was so painful and difficult. It was, it was a deep trial and, and cross. And yet going through what we went through, uh, just desperately turning to God and crying out for him to come and, and be Lord and be savior of this whole circumstance and situation was what led to so many breakthroughs in Carrie and my married life, the way that we looked at parenting, the way that we looked at other parents, the way that we parented mm. our existing kids. And ultimately, it was what stirred in us the, the impetus to uproot our family and to move here. Mm -hmm. And when we think about the graces, the blessings, the flourishing that we experience now in our kids' lives, as compared to where we were at five years ago, mm -hmm. it literally only happened 
because of the suffering, because right. of the evil that hit. And, and you know, with all that, it's like, yeah, Carrie and I sometimes will say, could we have gotten there if we hadn't suffered? Could mm -hmm. we have just come to our own senses and said, hey, you know what? We need to make this move. And the answer is no, no way. It was, it was the gift of the trial, the tribulation, the darkness that descended, mm -hmm. that broke open so many blessings that were only accessible somehow through the mystery of going through that cross. Well, yeah. Well, that's, I think, beautiful background and context, I think, for other people who, and, and maybe confidence sharing in terms of, because other people are probably going through fairly similar things right now. Um, we don't know the details from what you explained, but but you know the con we know the con social context, and and so this idea that this suffering, whatever you're going through, can lead to new life and 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 new beauty in the, your relationships and you th within yourself. Again, I think that's a strong witness to what we're just talking about. Um, yeah, you're well, in a battle, and and it's it's not hopeless, but there's pain. It's it's suffering, it's death, it's the cross but it's also the path to new life. And, mm -hmm. and it's, that's where Christ shows himself as king. He's like, this is not going to destroy you. Or insofar as you, what you're going to experience is destruction, I'm going to resurrect it. I'm going to resurrect right. anything that has, that has died here. I can resurrect it. Yeah. And, and to, to know that from the inside is so critical. And I, you know, I think that um, the things that we're talking about right now, Father, and just talking about today, are going to be increasingly important right. in days, months, years to come as yeah. we look at how things are unfolding in, in life, in our culture, in our state, and its relationship to what we believe as, as Catholics, that we should not be surprised or caught off guard if there are more impending uh, dark times, trials and crosses that will intrude into our lives our comfortable lives are going to disrupt those comfortable lives and ask us to uh, be willing to pick up a cross to go through some suffering and to trust that he is king and he will bring us through to new life even though it means a death and, and that the image of battle spiritual battle is is going to become more clear i think and in terms of um again conflict adversarial um, confrontations. I mean, those, those kind of things. I, I think that, I th I just know this is people are picking this up. I don't, and I really don't even care where you are on the political spectrum or religious spectrum, whatever. I've just, because I've seen it from all over, that people are just sensing this, uh, rising chaos, um, things are strange or weird, articulated different ways, but you know what you're talking about of this this sort of this primordial conflict is there and we have different again if you looked at everybody in the state of washington you'd look, or the country you you have different explanations for it, et cetera, that may not match mine but uh, the, the fact of the battle seems pretty widespread that 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 registers with people yeah that's father nagel this is tom curran we're uh, up against a break when we come back we're going to continue our conversation. This really light, happy conversation, hey, Father Nagel. You know, it's it's November. Uh, what do you expect? It's, it's the last week of the liturgical year. <laughs> All right, back in a minute with more sound insight. 
Welcome back to the program. It is great to be with you today. It's great to be with Father Nagel. If you enjoy these programs, I encourage you to go to mycatholicfaith.org. You can listen to this program again. It's a podcast. It is on Apple Podcasts. It is on Spotify. Just look up the Dr. Tom Curran podcast, and you'll be able to enjoy this one again. You'll also be able to access all of these Monday programs where I'm talking with wonderful priests. You can get their insight into current events and the teaching of the church. Father, today we are talking about Christ the King. It's also the last week of the liturgical year. Yeah. So it, there's a lot going on. A lot on going here. on. And it's also a traditional time to talk about death, judgment, heaven, and hell. So, Father, I we've been talking about a lot of stuff, and I'm going to kind of just put put out the menu. So you're going to oh, you're going to okay. get to choose. There's some specials on the menu okay. today. All right. And so, do you want to talk about Thanksgiving? Do you want to talk about Advent coming up and getting ready for it? Do you want to talk about death, judgment, heaven, hell, or purgatory? Where, where do you want to go from here? Or do you want to continue and you have more reflections on Christ the King? I think we've talked about Christ the King um, well enough. I, I would say let's let's move on. Um, be, it's always nice for us in our in our program to do more than one thing to get to like B on the list of the alphabet. Uh, we have a tendency <laughs> to simply start with A and stick with A, um, or at least A one A, right? Yeah. So yeah, it's just A one, <laughs> a, the introductory point uh, point one. So it's always like I always feel it's a kind of a win. Um, when we get to move to the second point. So uh, maybe not Christ the King anymore, but I think we should mention Thanksgiving. I want to, let's, because I don't think these are separate either. Um, If we're really grateful, um, I saw maybe we're throwing the the four last things too, but um, it's a mistake to think of the the eschaton, eschatology and Christ the King. And even in the battle, you just mentioned, even in the battle, and try to separate those from being grateful to God for our lives. Um, because whether you're talking about even death, um, not hell, but, but death and, and resurrection things, these are, and I've, and I've experienced, you know, most, many of your listeners probably have experienced death in their family or friends. And, and yet, it, for instance, my, my own mom, so I'm bringing this up again, I suppose, my, my mother passed away on October 29th. It's, we're in a season of gratitude, and these things kind of go together still, though. Um, do I wish she was still there for Thanksgiving? Yeah, the first Thanksgiving without her will be very strange. And yet, when I think of what I'm grateful for this year, yeah, immediately it comes to mind is my mother. And and even her passing makes me in some ways more grateful. So, so again, I think we can go to grat- gratitude and Thanksgiving and just acknowledge that as part of this program without uh, leaving behind um the battle of suffering in this world that we might through, through the Paschal mystery experience resurrection in the new world to come. Um, the ultimate reason for gratitude. Nice. So father, you're a historian. And so you appreciate, I think some of the details around uh, the history of Thanksgiving in the United States. Is there anything that jumps out at you about this history in terms of it's um, like embracing by presidents, or, uh, you know, I, you know, it's unfolding. <laughs> This it's actually it's like thing, lots of things in America that it's, it's I think really our, our current understanding of it takes place later than we probably think. Um, the whole pilgrim thing, you know, it's it's and I think most people know this if they have some kind of grasp on this that there was an event uh, again if we're talking about the critical uh, historical criticism of Thanksgiving um, 
there wasn't a Van back in that Plymouth colony. Um, there probably was a meal somewhere there. And, and there's, it's a nice picture in some ways. Um, Abraham Lincoln has its own part, uh, late 1800s. Uh, it starts to kick off. I honestly think that as we have it, you know, it's, you know, mid, early-ish to mid 20th century that it really takes on the, the, uh, all the trappings and the picture that we have of it. And I think that's, that's okay. Uh, it's perfectly okay. Um, I, so I, but it's not, it's not a 250 year old tradition really, at least as we have it. Um, so I think it's something that we've, we've developed really again, there's been a real development of this, uh, this notion. And I, I was at a, I'm rambling here a little bit, but I was at a, a, uh, an ecumenical gathering of is, is like a ministerial association, uh, one of my past parishes. And we were meeting right before Thanksgiving. And in, in the, I, everybody else was the Protestant ministers besides me uh, in town. And there was a, a, a Protestant minister from what we would call the denomination of what were the pilgrims. And she was apologizing for Thanksgiving and what the pilgrims did to the Native Americans and and the wildlife and everything. And I was just thinking, I can't believe this because what happened there and what, how it developed in America, it's gotten so strong. We have now, you've, you've impacted the Roman Missal. Um, I, you know, sure, there's, there's dark sides, but let's, let's, let's grasp hold of this. This is a great American invention. Um, the idea of a national holiday that most people find right up there at the top three of their favorite days where we're simply thanking God. Um, don't apologize for it. Just simply say, thanks, literally, thanks be to God. Um, I'd, be, I'd take pride in that. Um, you guys are all doing what we started. That's what would have been my perhaps arrogant thought. So anyway, um, that's rambling, but there, there I am. No, I love that. Well, and, and here's the thing, folks. Uh, Father Nagel has his PhD. Is, is it in U.S. history? Yes. Early American history. Early American history. So um, we have here, we have a walking Wikipedia of understanding Americana and, and its historical origins. And, and, and so I love to be able to tap into that when we have a chance. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think about the various traditions that have marked my life uh, in Thanksgiving. And I, I, there's a shift that happens. And the shift that happens is, that you know, I grew up in a family having Thanksgiving, and then when I got married, before children, we would come and join that family. But then, as we started having kids, it became something where we started having our own mm -hmm. Thanksgiving. So there's this sort of transition between the generations, and now yes. we have our own Thanksgiving with our own kids, and and we barely even contact or have any um, physical contact because of the distance that exists. And it's a really interesting thing to understand the flow of time in relationship to um, days like this. Yes, it's like the generational uh, tides coming in and out. And someday, before too long, your kids are going to have their own family. I mean, you're, you know, they're going to have their own Thanksgiving dinners, and you're going to be invited to one or two of them, and you're going to do a little round robin, probably. Yeah, the the kids are not all going to come to us anymore, nope. and then the grandkids are going to say, "Do we have to go hang out at grandfather's <laughs> house again?" Right? <laughs> he tells us horrible jokes. <laughs> no, really, but he always says these weird things, and he always wants us to pray <laughs> and talk about praying. Jesus. What is that all about? <laughs> Grandma's a lot more fun, right? Yeah. 
Well, we're, we're up against a break, Father. I appreciate that. Um, I, I actually am hungry now that you're talking like this. Uh, <laughs> it's not it too long. Early. Turkey is not too long away. I know. I know. I love it. I love it. All right. We'll be back in a minute with more Sound Insight. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Carnum with Father Nagel, and we're reflecting on. Well, we just we've got through two topics now. Yeah, we're yes. on. Are we getting number three? We can we can make number three maybe. Or do you we want can to get? Yeah, we have seven minutes to get through a, a, a third topic here. Why don't we talk about the four last things? All right. Since we have that uh, counts seven for four, last right? Things. So that'll be six. <laughs> yeah, if we can, well, Taz in purgatory, we'll get through five. Okay. So, all right, Father, where do you want to begin? Death. Well, if we want to start with death. Judgment, yeah. heaven, hell, and purgatory. November is a month where we remember all souls. Right. I think uh, that's a good way to end November. Okay. So where do you want to? Uh, where? What do you want to start with? Well, dying in Christ. Nice. Um, so dying in Christ, yeah. and you refer to the Catechism. We right. have the Catechism here, folks. And so dying in Christ Jesus. There's some powerful uh, ca- uh, paragraphs in the Catechism. If you have a Catechism of the Catholic Church, I do encourage you to get one, the green covered one. Paragraphs 1,005 to 1,009 um, uh, have some powerful insights into the reality of death and then of the meaning of death, beginning 1,010 and on. And so, uh, Father, do you, wanna, uh, do you want me to read a particular paragraph that you can reflect Whichever on? Whichever one you want to start with. Okay. I, I'd like to, you know what I would like to do is start with 1,009, okay. which is that death is transformed by Christ, that Jesus, the Son of God, also himself suffered the death that is part of the human condition. Yet despite his anguish as he faced death, he accepted it as an act of complete and free submission to his Father's will. The obedience of Jesus has transformed the curse of death into a blessing. So I think for me that that last word um, is the key. Um, because I think like a Stoic or other people can can transform death into something that doesn't frighten or... Um, they're at peace with or something like that. But the idea that this is a, that's good comes from this. Right. Yeah. Yes, exactly. You can, resignation is possible without faith, but I think that there's, this is the, I would say like the key of conversion of Christianity in the first centuries, you know, always the, the idea that it does transform death, which is the key to human life whether we are consciously or subconsciously uh, aware of that, the fact that we're going to die is the central, that's so central. And so if we have the answer to that and we have the transformation of this, what we're all afraid of is actually going to be a blessing. Um, it's, it's a doorway into something infinitely good. That's good news. I mean, it's the good, it's the best news you can imagine. So I think that's just that key um, for everything. And, you know, it, it's in this whole book of hundreds of pages, that truth, I think, is like the central crucial um, reality that, that sets apart the faith and also lets it live. If, if you're aware of that and convicted of that, your life changes. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, um, that's one of those things that we don't get until we get Christ or until Christ right. gets us, Right. It's not just a conceptual thing, because I think then that you attempt to rationally master it. I think that it's an experiential thing. It's that when I go through something that is a, I'm going to put it in quotes, a death, and I experience the life that comes out of that death, like the experience I I shared earlier, Mm -hmm. 
it's then that I, I have a, a handhold to say, this is actually a blessing. Thanks be to God that I get to die so that I can get through death to my final home in heaven. Right. Opportunity, bridge, whatever you want to call it, but it's something that's necessary to get to something better. Yes. Yeah. Amen. So, Father, um, let, let me uh, take to the next paragraph because it says something even more shocking. In paragraph 1010, 10, because of Christ, Christian death has a positive meaning. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. The saying is sure, if we've died with him, we will also live with him. What is essentially new about Christian death is this. Through baptism, the Christian has already died with Christ sacramentally in order to live a new life. And if we die in Christ's grace, physical death completes this dying with Christ and so completes our incorporation into him in his redeeming act. Yes. I, <laughs> so this is, this, this is really good. Um, this completes us. We're not, in fact, we're not complete without it. We're not going to be who we really are without going through death. And I, and I think of this in terms of some stories um, and some sort of legends and things like the idea of uh, being able to live forever is a curse. You see that, whether it's the vampire stories or other places. Um, even in Tolkien, he has some sense of this with the elves. But the idea that if, if I just keep on living on this earth, my earthly life, eventually that becomes torture and bad. And, and to be released to this, to complete my real journey, I, I, I need to die. I have to, I have to want to get there. Uh, I have to go through that. Um, I have to complete my baptism. So I, I, again, something that's, most of us say, I don't want to die. I want to just keep going. At least, um, you know, that, that's the common human experience. So anyway, for me, this, this, this paragraph just kind of continues, obviously, the previous one, in terms of the shocking reality that this is a good thing. Yeah, and I think the thing that um, helps with it is the reality that it becomes personal. It becomes about Jesus, that I want to mm -hmm. be with Jesus. Mm -hmm. He has loved me so much. He's brought me through death to life on earth. I want to be with him. And so that's that desire to get back to Jesus, to get to him, to get to the Blessed Trinity that says, I got to go through that door. I can't wait to go through that door. I want to be with Christ. That's St. Yeah. Paul with that beautiful desire. Right. That's, I think, what we really need. And it does depend upon this real, this real encounter. Um, so the idea of conversion of not just intellect, but to have this real encounter with Christ that he's real and what he says is true. Yes. Amen. I love it. Well, Father Nagel, believe it or not, we are up against the end of our program. We did really well. <laughs> just saying. Well, we, we, did, we got through three, three topics. Uh, three, yeah. I'd say four because we had, th we had two paragraphs of death. We had Thanksgiving. We had Christ the King. I call it four. Nice. We'll take it. We'll take it. Father Nagel, thank you so much for uh, being with me today on the program. Join me tomorrow for more Sound Insight.